Welcome to the New Books Network. How many religions have uh, St. Catherine or like St. Mother Teresa, right? Like the the Catholic Church is giving so much freedom, so many rights to women um, that, you know, when people say, oh, it's like, you know, anti-woman, I just roll my eyes. I'm like, just take it up with the Queen (laughs) of Heaven. She has a few things to tell you. Yeah. She's been a Muslim, an atheist, and a Protestant, and now she is a Catholic writer and apologist. Daria Little discusses faith, family, Islam, history, the role of women in the Catholic Church, and even Star Trek on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Odenitz, and I get to ask interesting people who thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this dialogue may help us approach the truth and to have a really great time doing it. If you'd like to join the conversation, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Our guest today is Deria Little. She was born in Turkey and raised a Muslim. As a teen, she was an atheist, but later converted to Christianity first Protestantism and later Catholicism. Today, she lives in the U.S. with her husband and five children. Number six is on the way. She has a degree in history, international relations, and a Ph.D. in political science. She has written five books on topics of faith, From Islam to Christ, her religious autobiography, and then At His Feet, Drawing Closer to Christ with the Women of the New Testament. Next, A Beginner's Guide to the Traditional Latin Mass, and two fictional books for young adults, Two Fallen Worlds Lost, and its sequel, Two Fallen Worlds Found. All of these are available at her website, derialittle.com, as is her blog. A lot of it is also published by Catholic World Report. And her podcast is called Live a Little, and it has run from January 2019 until about a year ago. And the more recent episodes are co-hosted by Angela Erickson. So far, there have been something like 34 episodes, and it's a really great show. And her style and approach to topical conversations continue to be an example for me as I think about how I want my own podcast to go now that I'm about six months or seven months into this adventure. So for all of these reasons and others I hope we will get into, it is a great honor for me to welcome you, Deria, to Almost Good Catholics. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Well, um, would you like to start with your story and uh, how how you became a Catholic? Okay, this is a very long story. Uh, as I as you said, I've uh, written a book about it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I can give you a shorter version for mm-hmm. you and for your listeners. Uh, mm-hmm. As you said, I grew up in Turkey, uh, which a pre- which is a predominantly Muslim country, and I was raised a Muslim because like everybody is Muslim. My parents weren't. Uh, um, they weren't very, um, like they didn't observe all the laws, but everybody's Muslim. It's like being Catholic and Irish. And um, <laughs> and I never questioned it um, until they had a divorce. And when I was little, divorce was very, very uncommon in Turkey. So that kind of shook all my um all my beliefs and everything they taught me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that happens to the children of divorce wherever, you know, the world kind of revolves around them and the family is their, you know, stronghold. And if that collapses, a lot of things get shaken. So that was, uh, that's what happened to me. And in Islam, you're always taught not to ever question Muhammad or Allah or whatever you're taught. 
Um, and it's almost re- you kind of need a like a traumatic experience or a big shock um, to start questioning your beliefs. And that was my big experience. Uh, my parents divorced, and um, that was that was when for the first time I read the Quran and the Hadith in Turkish because I've always learned how to read them. Mm-hmm. in in arabic uh, and i don't speak arabic so i would we would just enunciate it you know um yeah does that mean you know uh, i remember i've heard you compare this to like the the little children who who approach to become young men and women in judaism they have to read a torah passage but they really understand it even if they don't if they can't speak conversant but would a, a turkish child even though she doesn't really speak arabic could she understand the the passages of the quran or not really not at all it's not i all. mean for turkish it's a completely different language like turkish is almost similar like it's it's closer to korean and japanese so yeah um it's very different so we had no idea and i memorized it and i still have they still occupy space in my brain <laughs> you know all yeah. those uh, all those um um, the prayers, but because yeah. you know, um, Muhammad said uh, Arabic was the perfect language, so that's that's why we, you know, we had to read the Quran in Arabic, say the prayers, and do all the um, all the rituals in Arabic to gain favor in Allah's eye. And and when I read it in Turkish, I realized that Muhammad was somebody that I couldn't follow. Um, that he was, you know. He was he loved women, and he treated them not so well. He had many wives, and he um, he was violent. He was he was lustful and power hungry at the end of the day. And I'm like, how can I even po- possibly follow him as a woman? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was um, I kind of fell away from Islam slowly and became an atheist. And I believed in everything Islam taught, weirdly enough. You know, when I, I think when you get indoctrinated so young in age, some of the things you just never question until you're much older. And one of the things Islam teaches is that, like, basically, you know, uh, Judaism, Christianity, Islam are the same things, but the Jews and the Christians corrupted what has been given to them um, from Allah. So um, I never questioned that. And to me, like all the religions were same, stupid, and all that stuff, all that mm-hmm. stuff. And um, so I became an atheist, and you know, I started drinking at a very early age. I lost like any moral compass, whatever uh, I had, and um, and I continued to do you know whatever I wanted, middle school, high school, and when I came. Is to- that uh, is that scandalous behavior in modern Turkey, or is it kind of like Europe, where everyone's nominally Christian, but the kids do whatever they want and really. No, it was scandalous even in yeah. Turkey, but I kind of kept my head. Like I did whatever I want without like causing too much trouble. Like mm-hmm. I knew how to, you know, function. Um, I don't know, without causing too much trouble. Yeah, it was, you know, even though like, you know, f- family life, honor and all that stuff is still very important, um, even though it's it's very nominally, um, yeah. uh, nominally Muslim. So and I I lived however want, I wanted basically and um and I went to college and I had to find a job and when I um and um the only job I could find was teaching a um teaching to an American woman who had just moved to Turkey little did I know she was a, a missionary and um and um 
and she was wonderful <laughs> and she was just handpicked by the lord for me i think because she was raised as an atheist and became a christian in college a protestant lady and um she kind of and uh after she employed me, we started talking about everything and about God for three and a half years. And the God she portrayed was completely different than, than the God I was taught and had imagined up until that age. And um, she made me realize that, you know, like there may be a God that's bigger than me, bigger than science, bigger than the universe. Does it make sense? Like I didn't mm -hmm. have a proper understanding. Uh, but I still, um, I got stuck on the question, on the problem of pain. And I was going to a good college where um, they had, um, they would have like Fulbright scholars come over to Turkey and teach us English. And um, there was a very anti-Christian professor who was a wonderful man. And he gave us this chapter from uh, Dostoevsky's Brothers Karamazov. And um, it's a great chapter if you've never read it. It's it's just wonderful. And I have a whole chapter in my book, my own book about mm -hmm. uh, a, the Grand Inquisitor. And then I realized that when, after I read that, I realized... Um, for the first time, I realized that I was the sinful one. Like the world, mm -hmm. um, it the world was evil not because God is evil or He's incapable, but it's because He gave us freedom, and our own bad decisions have a rippling effect. So, like you know, there's poverty not because there's enough resources in the on 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 Earth. It's because you know we don't want to share them, or power hungry men want. Uh, want to hoard it or you know so yeah. it was just you know our like i understood my own Would, sinfulness so for i the haven't first time. uh i haven't read brothers karamazov in 15 years and so please remind me he the grand inquisitor it's the 16th century spain right. jesus returns right and he's hauled and, before the inquisition right so yeah. the cardinal arrests him even though he knows that it's jesus it's not the second coming it's just he's kind of uh, stopping by to see what's what's going on so um and this is like a parable within the book so in in the book there there are four brothers the oldest one ivan is a communist and the youngest one alyosha is becoming a monk and this is a uh, this is a parable ivan tells alyosha that he's believing in all these stupid things so so Jesus comes, he heals people, raises somebody from the dead, and the, uh, the cardinal arrests and put him in a dungeon. And he um, and he goes back at night to visit Jesus in the dungeon. And he says, um, you shouldn't have come back again. We've been trying to clean up your mess. <laughs> and he says, you should have um, accepted all the, you know, he goes back to Christ's temptation in the desert. He says, you should have accepted um, whatever the Satan Satan offered to you, like you offered your power, you should have, you know, claimed that power, created a peaceful earthly kingdom, and given these people security because that's all they want. Um, you know, he offered you to um, turn the rocks into bread, and it's like all they want is to be not hungry. You should have taken that power, fed them, and then you should have given them what they they wanted. And I was like. Like, because you see why Christ yeah. did that, right? So, like, you read it, but then you, rea you realize that the reality of, of sinfulness is that 
while we understand it in the head, that's not how we live our lives, right? You know, yeah. we want the security, we want the, you know, bread at all costs, you know? So, um, so anyway, that's, that's the chapter. Um, anyway, so um, the Cardinal t- tells um, Christ, go back, go back and never come back. And Christ get, gets up, kisses the Cardinal on the cheek and leaves. And um, then Ivan finishes telling the parable to her, uh, to his brother, uh, Alusha gets up, kisses his brother on the cheek and leaves. <laughs> as well so um so it was great for me like you know because it was like an old translation and i'm sitting um like this is the middle of the night and i'm thinking i was like oh my goodness like this is me right like you know i just thought about like looking back on my life how many people i hurt and how many people uh by how many people i've been hurt and just you see that like rippling effect that you know no man is an island and um and then I still couldn't, like it. That was my like last intellectual hurdle, I think. But I didn't quite understand what it would mean to be a Christian. Um, so that year, I started to work for this family, but I was working for their little kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you work with the little kids, it's a lot. You know, it's different than working with the mom in a room at the table. It's like you're part of the family. You become part of the family, see how they live. And I I, I just had never seen anything like that. Um, um, you know, the kids just loved their parents. They, you know, they didn't love. And the mom and dad served each other, served their children. There was good discipline. And there was just this amazing joy yeah. and love in the family that I had never w- witnessed. And... Um, and it's such an amazing witness for a culture who had who doesn't have a proper understanding of marriage or family, or you know any of those. Um, uh, so I'm like, are they faking this? You know, yeah. like no one, nobody's this happy. And they and and they were, you know, they were happy and content, and it was beautiful. I never wanted to leave their house, and I couldn't, and I. I I, and I knew it was because of Christ, but I couldn't make up my mind for a long, long time. And um, and I was like at this crossroads trying to, um, trying to, you know, make a decision one way or another. So I'm thinking I'm going to lose my job. I mean, job prospects, you know, I'm, I have a bunch of atheist friends that, um, you know, we used to sit around, you know, the bar table and make fun of people who believed yeah. in God. I mean, uh, that's going to be hard yeah. <laughs> to do, you know? So like I had all these like kind of worldly concerns anyway. So, um, and so once one morning I'm going to class and I had this, you probably heard about Muslims having visions and dreams. And I, and I think because that's like the Holy spirit, <laughs> um, being very gracious with us because it's such a hard decision to make, you know, uh-huh. like in, in America, you can, you know, become Christian. So you can get ridiculed, but, and I'm not saying it's easy still, but it's like easier, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you so, can change your mind five times. And last week I was a Buddhist and next week I'll be an atheist and then I'll be a vegetarian and then I'll be a Muslim and then I'll be a Catholic. Yeah. And then yeah. like, there is no real consequences where it's yeah. like, it, it wasn't the case for me, but in a lot of countries it could mean your death. 
or you That's know true. you know um but people get ostracized by their families you know locked in their homes like it's just it's just you know this wasn't the case for me like it's my case was like okay i can never get a government job mm-hmm. i'm probably gonna lose my boyfriend i'm probably gonna lose my friend so it's like i would say like more like a soft persecution in yeah. my case um but again, still, the Lord is very gracious. So I was going to this class one day early in the morning. And suddenly I had this like scene in front of me. A little girl was sitting in a meadow with like these, you know, um, amazing mountains in the in the background. And she's like sitting down in grass and playing with these little toys in her lap. You can even see the toys in her lap. They're just so small. And then uh, two hands from the sky come down and they're giving her a present. But the owner, you can't even see the owner of the hands because like you can only see the hands. Like it's so big. And the gift itself was like beautifully wrapped and like glowing. And just you realize it's not like a physical, almost like an earthly gift. It is something that is beyond the comprehension of this little girl. She doesn't even see that this gift is being handed to her. But finally... And she says, she looks up and she says, no, I have these little things to play with. I'm like, are you stupid? Mm-hmm. How can you even compare that gift, which is clearly beyond anything you can ever imagine, with the stuff, your tiny, tiny, insignificant gifts? And of, of course, like, oh, yeah, the that's me. You know, that's yeah. what I've been doing. And how did so, this vision, uh, this is a vision you had, you were awake. How did it happen? Yeah. How did it it was very quick, you know, like I'm explaining it takes like, I don't know, a minute, but like seeing it was maybe three seconds, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm, I was go- walking to class early in the morning. So I was, because I think the Lord knew that I was too cynic to give any um, credence to dreams and stuff. You know, <laughs> So I'm like, yeah. okay, she ne- he was like, she needs to be wide awake for the slap in the face to work, yeah. you know? So, um, so that was mine. And it was very quick. Like it wasn't like I passed out or anything. It was more like, maybe more like a revelation, yeah. you know, but it was a clear vision that I had this scene in front of me. And did you say like, wow, that was weird. That's never happened before. Yeah, no, yeah. it was definitely weird. And, and I, I could tell that it wasn't definitely from my own mind because yeah. I was more inclined not to become christian yeah right so um so anyway i became we said the protestant prayer and i became christian and um and they're these are all like very anti-catholic protestants um that i was surrounded with you know i became a part of the you know turkish christian church and still working you know with and around missionaries but um the more i read the more like i would i had a lot of trouble with like wrapping my mind around um sola fide you know only faith alone Mm -hmm. um sola scriptura bible alone or lack of a magisterium like i didn't it just none of this really really made sense to me but I'm like, I just didn't know enough. So I kind of pushed them aside and then kept, you know, the geek inside me keep wants yeah. to keep reading and learning. So um, anyway, during my, like one of the things I did was to, um, with a few friends of mine, we ran this camp for um, Turkish um, teenage Christians. And um, I, I made a good friend while running this camp. And he was a missionary kid who grew up in Turkey. Uh, but he came to college in uh, in America to study at Notre Dame. 
and once he finished that he start, started to work in Istanbul and I was I was living in an Ankara but you know when I I was in Istanbul with my roommate for a conference we went to um, visit him um, for a lunch and he was like okay daddy I'm gonna tell you something but don't be mad I'm like what could it be and he was like I became a Catholic and I'm like oh, wow. no you didn't <laughs> how could you <laughs> you know you know like Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon. The Pope is the Antichrist. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm surrounded by like, you know, Southern Baptists and, you know, yeah. five point Calvinists. So it was not pretty. So we had a, we had a kind of a fight at lunch and we just left somewhat amicably. And I went back to my dorm. I was getting my master's back then. I went back to my own dorm, back to the library, and I looked for the only book about Catholicism I could find was this um, uh, written by this guy. I don't know, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, <laughs> never heard of him. So I pick it up, it's Introduction to Catholic Theology, yeah. and it's like, it's a thick volume. So I pick it up, and I didn't, I couldn't even understand the introduction of yeah. the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> You know, never mind. So I closed the book. <laughs> I put it back in res- respectfully, and I went back to my dorm. And my friend that I met in Istanbul, he had sent me like a, 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 a package, and the package was a really little thin book that I could actually understand, uh-huh. uh, written by a former evangelical called By What Authority. Mm-hmm. So this guy took all the claims of the Catholic Church that bothered Protestants and found its their sources in the scripture. I was just perfect. And I'm reading yeah. this and I'm like, oh, there's the magisterium. Oh, there's the, you know, yeah. there's no such thing as sola scriptura. It would be so silly, right? Yeah. Like, how can you have a Bible without an authority? Um, and how could leave Jesus you? How could Jesus leave you without authority? Yeah, knowing you so well. What did he say? Like, wait four hundred years, and I'll yeah, you know, send a book hang in there, you know. So, and I was like, oh no. So anyway, I found the only um, Turkish um, speaking kind of speaking. <laughs> Uh, parish in Turkey in Ankara because the city of five million there are only two Catholic churches mm. and they're closely like you can't just walk into the mass so I kind of berated this priest to talk to me eventually and um, and then I ended up getting my uh, PhD in England so but um, that's how my journey started like yeah. I had an RCIA RCIA kind of program which they don't have it in Turkey for two years in Turkey and then went to England had a proper RCIA there for a year and was uh, received into the church on the uh, Easter of 2008. So 2008. thanks be to God. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, okay. So yeah. 2008, were you, uh, were you married at that point? Did you, where did you meet your husband in England? Is he an Englishman? Is he an American? He's, uh, he's very American. He's from, um, <laughs> he's from Iowa. No, we met on Catholic match because uh-huh. I realized, yeah, I, I said, okay, I don't have a vocation to a religious life. Uh, but I can't, you know, marry somebody who doesn't take his faith as seriously as I do. Mm-hmm. So we ended up meeting on Catholic match, which is funny because uh, I didn't put America because I always wanted to go back to Turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he found me and, you know, we ended up getting along really well. And then uh, after we got married, I moved to America. You know, you make plans and the Lord just laughs. At That's them. right. He That's just, right. <laughs> he does what he does. You know, <laughs> you're like, okay, Lord, whatever. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, um, that's a beautiful story, and thank you for sharing it. Um, and oh, so, 
one thing I want you to talk about is um, your view of God versus Allah. Allah is the Arabic word for God or the God, mm-hmm. right? And I have lived in Muslim countries for a few years of my life. I lived for two years in Mali in rural West Africa as a Peace Corps volunteer in a village. And then I lived for a year in Egypt um, in Cairo as a, as a teacher. Uh, and I taught, you know, 10th grade English in a little American school there. And I've always enjoyed living in Muslim countries. I've always enjoyed the prayer call that wakes you up in the morning. And I've always enjoyed the the great community that I see, you know, people pray together. You're on the bus. It's time to pray. The bus pulls over everybody off the bus. Let's all pray together. You know, the fasting, the breaking of the fast. Um, And so for me, it's been very easy to say, Oh, look, we're all monotheistic cousins and we're all people of the book and it's Mm -hmm. the same God. And I'm, I have been until I started listening to you, I was very comfortable just as I love my Jewish brothers and sisters, and I was like, that right. God is God. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we're all headed for the same home. And uh, but you you have made me rethink that, at least in the term in the case of Islam. And would you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to um, it's really hard to explain it to Westerners because you kind of grow up this idea of, of freedom and equality that is actually has christian roots it's because of you know we are all created in the image of god now that's not what islam teaches about allah and you know the the allah and um the muslim by by the way obviously christians and catholics in the middle east in muslim countries use the word allah because they were long there long before muhammad was yes yes yeah so but i kind of use it as so that we can dif- differentiate between the two you know for our own conversation sake um so i think um do we believe in the same god and i would say yes but and a lot of buts right so yeah. it's like this is how i try to explain so we're both talking about a guy named john i you know I say as a Catholic, okay, John is, you know, six foot tall and a brunette. He has a beard and he's a loving and caring father and a husband. And he's a wonderful guy. And then, you know, somebody else comes and says, John is six foot tall, brunette (laughs) with a beard, but he's, you know, he beats his wife daily and abusive to his children. So like, are we talking about the same guy or not? Like, clearly we have a similar idea. Does mm-hmm. it make sense? Like, so I, you know, when you say, and a lot of Muslims, I want to qualify this. A lot of yeah. Muslims don't actually know enough about Islam. Like, consider how much a, um, a you know, anybody you find on the street knows about the Bible or, you know, any Catholic, how much yeah. they know what we believe. Does it make sense? Yeah, So that's I right. think, you know, the Lord put this desire in our hearts to worship him. And I would say like a majority of Muslims do worship, you know, God, the father in their ignorance, if that makes sense <laughs> in their yeah. ignorance of Islam. But when you talk about this uh, Allah that Islam teaches, it's just a completely different person. Um, it's um, he's capricious. He can do whatever he wants, right? Um, he does. There's like Muslims don't believe that, um, like it, Allah is good, and that's why there's such a thing is called sin, 
because it's against our good. Does it make sense? It's against our yeah. nature and good. Uh, in Islam, you know, it's a sin because Allah says so. And if he changes his mind, who do you think you are to tell him? Yeah, but he's so, benef- but isn't he beneficent and merciful, right? Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Yes, but I mean, you know, he they keep talking about this merciful God and you read the Quran and I'm like, I'm not seeing this. I like, see. Yeah. Does it make sense? So the mercy part, they always talk about it. But um, and then like in the understanding of mercy and justice is also different, right? Mm-hmm. So we are using the same terms, but are we meaning the same thing? And another thing is that because there isn't a proper an, um, understanding between of um, who God is, uh, then you can never start from Allah and reach to Christ. Like it would be so like it. Will, I'm, I'm not saying it's impossible because Holy Spirit, obviously, who am I to say how He changes minds? Um, but it's like, it just like, why would you need a savior if God can, you know, can change his mind about sin? Yeah. Like, does it make sense? It's just without a proper understanding of why we need salvation, why the grace was lost. Like there isn't even like when you say grace, that's just a very kind of an empty term in most Muslim languages. Like I had to feel that term in my head before, you know, uh, before I could even like come to understanding yeah. When you say uh, Allah is capricious, are you saying he's changing the rules all the time? Because I think of mercy as the rules are the same. But guess what? I have failed yet again. I, look at all these. Say, I meant to do well and I did the wrong thing and I go to confession and I'm absolved and I start over. I mean, it's yes. Right. You know, yeah. the rules yeah. are the same and you're exactly. But that doesn't have to be like so. The, the thing is that the rules are the same. It's because God the Father didn't get around to changing it or something. It's because yeah. these rules are bad for you. They will mess up your life. You know, your, they will, you know, stain your soul, break your relationship with the Lord and with your fellow man. Like there's just, does it make sense? It will, these, you sin and you will be corrupted. It's yeah. not because, you know, God is being a complete jerk. But I'm sorry, you can't, you know, have sex with other women after you got married. Too bad. Like, he's not being a jerk because he knows such an intimate relationship this is. And that it can, you know, it needs to be contained and, you know, flourish within the marriage. Whereas, you know, like, I mean, in the Quran, Allah does keep changing his mind depending on what Muhammad wants to do. But also, like, once the rules are set now that muhammad is gone yeah it's like you have to obey these rules but there's no rhyme and reason to it other than allah says so does that make sense yeah so then mercy is just like hey i made these arbitrary rules and you better obey them or or else does it make sense and it's like one of the things i try to explain it is the difference between in in Islam, the you are just a slave of Allah, but nothing else, right? Yeah, so that's a big difference, right? That God does uh, in in the gospel, God knows if a hair on your head turns white or black, and He knows if a I don't know if a if a if a lily grows or a grass dies. Does He does Allah have that intimate friendship with all of His? No, He has no love or friendship. Yeah. You're just, yeah, you're just nothing but a slave. And as a slave, all you have to, like the fear that you feel towards Allah is servile fear. Mm -hmm. Again, this is like what it should be done (laughs) rather than, you know, there's a lot of like mystic kind of Muslims. And I, you know, 
uh, so I'm not saying like it's yeah. you know every Muslim, right? So like I want people to like I'm talking about the 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 God of Quran and Muhammad, not like you like you know a holy again a holy spirit works in mysterious right. ways you know so i i'm not talking about every single muslim right and people could take this um, framework and add to it more compassion and more personal connection through their own revealed you know through centuries and centuries of of having that like sufi mystics and people like that right yeah like you know they say uh because like where i grew up in turkey was a big center of uh Mevlana, which is a well-known Sufism, they think the, he came across the, across these Franciscan monks and tried to incorporate their like life, like mystical yeah. life into Islam. So, like I'm not saying all of those, but yeah. I'm just talking about the the God that's you know has been taught in in the Quran and the and um and Muhammad's Muhammad's life. So um, those are the two big things. Yes. Yeah. I, this, I, I just thought of this question, and I don't know if it's, a, if it's a silly question, but you tell me, because Islam only appears in the 7th century, and the Turks themselves only arrive in Turkey in the 10th century, I think. So is it possible that there are Christian roots? And, you know, because St. Paul had traveled through the part of Turkey where you grew up and there was, there's right. a, there's a thousand years of, of Christianity there before it became. Yeah, it was all Christian until yeah. we arrived. So maybe it's so we, a, synch- a syncretic sort of, maybe there are right. bits and pieces of each. Right, right. Yeah. That's yeah. why I said like, we are just, when I try to explain this to people, I'm not saying like all over the world, this yeah. is how all every Muslim is. But when you, you know, when you people say, Oh, ISIS is just radical. And I'm like, Radical in the way that they go to the root of Islam. Like yeah. they could, you know, you go to their website, they they found all the verses in the Quran and the Hadith and the stuff in Muhammad did. Like, you know, they are the pure Muslims if, you know. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's sola what, scriptura. It's like. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. You know, and everybody, everybody else is corrupted and, you know, they're yeah. right. You know, if, if, if that's how you're looking at it. But yeah, I mean, Turkey, modern Turkey, Asia Minor, I mean. Where I, I I'm from Galatia, right? Yeah. And the the town I grew up in is a big city now. Um, is Iconia, yeah. which is in the book in the book of Acts, and Saint Paul gets kicked out of there. But yeah. all these lands <laughs> eventually like become Christian. Like it's yeah. this, and it's through like you know centuries of Ottoman rule that like we got rid of all these Christians. Like, yeah. You know. Well, so, and it's, yeah, it's ironic too because uh, the Ottoman Empire was very tolerant right you had to pay a special tax but you could be a christian or a jew whereas pl- places like uh england france and spain would eat, would force you to leave uh, at least in the early modern period right yeah. and uh, the thing is the ottomans were very smart you know yeah. they could they know that it's like you can conquer china but you can never rule it right yeah so it's kind of like that like you can conquer all these christian lands but if you, we don't give them a way to you know kind of stay under our rule then this will never be a kind of settled, peaceful place. So they made them second-class citizens, and um, they actually, you know, I will forward this uh, this article to you because it was a really kind of a long play of slowly converting these Christians to Muslims. Very, like, very it's interesting. Just, yeah, yeah. You, I think you, you would appreciate it because you're right, they were tolerant, but because of that tolerance, a lot of Christians became Muslim in a way. Yeah. Because like, hey, 
Do you want to raise in this, you know, rise up in the society? You know, right. we're going to resist that for a few generations, but a few generations later, hey, I'd rather be rich than Catholic or whatever, you know? Yeah. So, um, so that was, you know, that's what happened. And you were right. They were definitely more tolerant, but it's not like, you know, they were just like the Muslim, Muslim Turks, you know? Yeah. So they were still second class, but no, I... yeah. I completely agree. Last week, my previous episode, I talked to a journalist from Pakistan. He said that he has seen uh, Muslim women praying the Hail Mary, the Ave Maria, as they're <laughs> as they're as they are um, uh, going into labor or earlier in, in pregnancy, or if there's anything where they especially need the intercession of a Blessed Mother to help right. them out, especially with maternal questions. And I know that you have. Um, said, and I can't remember where it was where you said this, but that there was an, a Marian apparition over a church. It was a very luminous um, uh, moment. And so, uh, do you do you find that the the Virgin Mary plays a has a particular role in Turkey and 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 Muslim in the Muslim world, or what do you think about this? Well, I mean, you know, she wants to bring everybody to her son, and she's the you know mediatrix, yeah. and you know, she's very generous with her graces. Yes, um, and also oddly enough, she's also the most mentioned woman, uh, woman in the Quran. Did you know that? Like, I did not know that. Yeah, no. because um, so Muhammad was really. It's kind of free to Muhammad's whole mind. Who knows how it works? But he was really adamant to show that Jesus was a man. So every time Jesus was mentioned in the in the Quran, which was a lot, yeah. he always was mentioned Jesus, son of Mary, because he wanted to emphasize his humanhood. How can he have a mother and still be God, right? Yeah. So anyway, so he she ends up being the most mentioned <laughs> woman. And actually, in the Quran, they say that it was still a virgin birth. Uh, but wow. he wasn't divine. It was just, yeah. you know, God just made that happen. So anyway, so, so there's a lot of, especially for like infertility. So there's a lot of reverence to Our Lady. Uh, like you would see in her house in Ephesus, you would see like as many Muslims as Christians praying in time. And that apparition happened in Egypt. It's called, it's in Zaitun. And uh -huh. she was there um, for like, I mean, I think they have pictures and stuff, like actual pictures and stuff. So, and um, yeah, I think she's going to eventually pull an Our Lady of Guadalupe in a Muslim land and, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> and then just she'd be done with it, you know, yeah, waiting still. <laughs> I think Egypt could do it. Uh, when I lived there, I had, it took me less than an afternoon to find a Catholic church. First, I walked into a Coptic church and as I started, I was like, oh, I actually don't understand what's happening at all. But it was very beautiful. And then I found a Catholic church and uh, and they were very active and we went on pilgrimage to uh, Mount Sinai. And, um, you know, I had in my in my school, almost everyone was Muslim, but there were, you know, a few Christian students and they were treated just like anybody else. And when it was time for Ramadan, they would come have their lunch with me because all of their friends were fasting and they did not want to be disrespectful. So Egypt is a place, at least it was. I mean, I haven't been there in a long time and it's changed a lot since the Arab Spring mm -hmm. and, and everything else, but I could imagine such a thing. Yeah, no, I think so too. Like, I mean, like Turkey is still very intolerant with that stuff, which is so interesting because it looks very liberal and westernized on the outside, but on the inside. And I think in Turkey a little more, there's still a lot more of that yeah, imperial pride of mm -hmm. being the, you know, children of the Ottomans kind of, it's just still in us still, but hey, maybe she'll show up in Egypt again. Who knows? You know, she can... <clears throat> She can do it, and it's just whenever she, <laughs> yeah, whenever we are ready to hear, you know, her message and his message, and you know, 
so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> okay. Um, I have a question about your podcast, Live a Little. And uh, okay. I love this. I love this podcast. And uh, is it finished? Is it on hiatus? Will there be more episodes in the future? Are you just busy with kids, but you're like, soon I'll do it? Um, you know what? I, I want to get back to it. I don't know when because uh, we just relocated to a different city um, and life is a little has been a little crazy this last year. I would like to get back to it eventually, but I don't know when. Okay. That's a, yeah. yeah. Uh, we will be here whenever, whenever you're ready. That's a nice thing about a podcast, too. It requires no, you know, it'll, you can do it anytime and anywhere. Um, yeah. Okay. Second question. I'm a I'm a historian as well, like you. I studied history. I studied uh, early modern Europe, and my dissertation was on the Spanish Empire in the 16th century. So that's why I know a lot about Turkey and the Ottoman Empire, and especially those 16th century Crusades at at Lepanto, and you know the life of right. Miguel de Cervantes, and all of these things for me are things I I just really find it fascinating. I'm curious what did what did you study? No, mine was um, actually, um, I my master's degree was three years. And the first year we did study some European history and a lot of Ottoman history. But my own specialization was Cold War history. And I studied um, history of nuclear wars. So it's uh, nuclear weapons. So so yeah. little little different than yours. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> and here we are back again in the Cold War after all this. All this, uh, all this I know, right? It just yeah. won't leave us. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's stuff I know about too because I was born in Poland and I should say the People's Republic of Poland and uh, that Poland is a country that survived communism and stayed Catholic and uh, shows how resilient a religion can be in a totalitarian um, you know secular materialistic kind of kind of situation which makes me think of your grand inquisitor story but we'll get back to that Uh, right okay my next question I really enjoy your podcast often because I don't agree with you um, so one thing the listeners of this podcast know is I would like to have a big tent Catholic church where all kinds of people, you know, find like we, we, we have a creed and we all share the creed. And then after that, we disagree on how things should be executed and why. So, um, but your compassion and your wisdom and above all your love for the Lord makes me stop and listen carefully to what you have to say. Um, Thank and you. so I, I feel that way. Like we just need more of that in our in in church, in community, in political parties, in universities, um, and so on. So, first of all, the traditional Latin Mass. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you explain why you love the traditional Latin Mass so much? You wrote a book about it, and I I had attended such a Mass when I lived in Alaska when I had very small children, and I I was also as as a historian I was studying a lot of Latin to be able to to you know understand Spain in the 16th century, and so I was like, wow. Latin Mass, and I would drive in there, and I really, really liked it, and I liked the people there, and I liked, you know, the women who put a veil over their hair and had all these kids, and I thought like, um, and I, but on the other hand, I also understand why not have one where everybody understands what's going on? Why not have the priest facing the congregation instead of the tabernacle? I can see the arguments either way, and so I don't have strong feelings about it, but you do, and I'd love it if you would share your strong feelings. I think um, I like the Latin part because I think it is a special language because our Lord spoke, spoke it. And, um, you know, the inscription on his above on the cross was in Latin. And that's the time he chose to come in. So I have all those. I don't, you know, and I think as a language, it unites all the Catholics all over the world. So, like, I I like the idea that having a, not ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical, 
practical language where, you know, you go wherever in the world, you're going to go in and know the mass exactly the way it is. And I think that speaks so like it speaks so loudly in our unity that like it doesn't matter where you're from. This is who you are. You know, you're Catholic and mm. you're, you know, you're a child of God. Like that's all. So I like the unity of Latin. And, you know, I don't have anything against vernacular languages, but I do feel very strongly about ad orientem wor- wor- worship because I think um, the priest needs to sh- face the East like everybody else because we are all worshiping the same God. When he turns around, suddenly for the priest, the congregation becomes the center. And for the people, the priest becomes the center. And suddenly God is just not at the center. Does it make sense? And I think I feel very, I I do feel very strongly about ad orientem. Could you you explain a bit about ad orientem? All churches are oriented east-west, tabernacles to the east. Why? Because it faces Jerusalem or what? Or because that's where the sun will rise? Why? You know what? I think both. Okay. You know, I'm not sure, but I think both, you know. Um, uh, It started, I think, with Jerusalem. And then, you know, once things got a little (laughs) confusing over there, I think it's the east, you know, where the the sun rises. But, like, you you face the east. Like, the idea is to everybody faces the same direction in this very special worship um the eucharistic celebration is not you know it's not a fun party or it's not like a charismatic um worship service right it's very specific it's a sacrifice and um it's um because we this is a this is something we believe that's very odd to people who is not catholic you know yeah. so um so because of that importance because of that you know that reliving of of the crucifixion we need to like we have to make god the absolute center of the worship because what happens is when the priest faces you now priest is thinking hey now i need i am a performer i am not a like a mm-hmm. priest anymore in a way doesn't make sense now you yeah. need to be funny now you need to introduce stuff right. that keeps people's attention but it doesn't matter people's attention right like right. Th- that's not where we are for um and speaking out loud words doesn't necessarily mean you're paying attention right. like you know you, you can still be thinking about something active part- participation means like you are there with the lord even if you don't want to talk, even if you're praying the rosary only. Does it make sense? So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so I feel very strongly about it because then I think that loss of reverence at mass has cost us quite a bit over the years. And I don't think that's very hard to see for any, you know, Catholic who's been going to mass. Yeah. Okay. Well, you said four different things. And the first one was about the language. I, I, I'm i under the impression Jesus spoke Aramaic and then all those educated um, first century Jews wrote it down in Greek, like, like Paul and Matthew and Peter. He and, probably spoke all, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know about Greek, but I'm pretty sure he spoke Latin, Aramaic and Hebrew. Yeah. Um, yeah. The second one about the East, that one, I just don't know. But like, I totally agree with you that on 16th century maps, if you looked at those early maps from history, they always put paradise on the very East. And I think it re- represents like when we bury the dead, we bury them right. facing East so that they're ready for the resurrection on the on the last day. Hmm. On the other hand, you know, in Islam, you always face Mecca. And for us, right. that's the East. But when I visited India, 
people were praying to the West. And I thought, wow, I have reached the part of the world where I'm actually on the other side of Mecca. Other side. <laughs> so so yeah. I wonder if Christians yeah. in, you know, if a church in um, in India, if it's still ad orientem or if it's ad occidentem or something like that. I, I don't know. I bet it's to the East, yeah. though. Yeah, I, I would think it's the East. It's yeah. probably because of the rising sun, you yeah. know, That's Jeru- what, Jerusalem. I yeah. bet you're right. I would think, but yeah, yeah. but I don't know. So... The sacrifice question is super interesting to me because our um, Last Supper is on top of the Passover. How do, can you explain? I mean, because we always say, may, may this you know sacrifice be acceptable. And it's one of those things I've repeated my whole life, but I don't fully understand it. Is this something you can say or is this yeah. should be another episode? <laughs> <laughs> it should probably be in another episode with a theologian, not yeah. me, probably. <laughs> but um, like the idea is that it's not because we are, you know, is the is some Protestant believe you're re-sacrificing Christ. It's more like, you like, I, <laughs> it's like time travel. This, I mean, this, like, yeah. when you come together, right? Because Christ and you know, um, God the Father, they're outside of time. So, like, when you come together, you're kind of almost like elevated to this, like. Um, outside of time or experience and you participate in the same sacrifice as Christ made back in the day in our term but forever happening from an eternal point of view if that makes sense that does makes it make sense. sense yes and that's why we say do this in memory of me <laughs> right this is the memory yeah because we live in the time but Christ doesn't anymore or you know God the Father doesn't anymore but this is like a forever memory for him like, yeah. like it's not ever going away. So he, you know, it's always there. So we kind of come together and shed this, you know, illusion in a way that is time and like, you know, kind of partake in, in eternity in that very special moment. That's why I say like, this is just a really weird thing we yeah. believe in, you know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think that's a really good answer. And the, and the fourth thing you said is about the priest and his personality. And I completely agree with you, completely agree with you, because my, my wife is a Protestant. And so I've always had one foot in the Protestant world. And I really enjoy Protestant um, worship. They love Jesus. That's for sure. They have great music. They have good coffee. Um, however, a lot of a ch- you know Protestant church depends on the personality of the pastor. And in right. Catholic churches, the pastor vanishes, right? He becomes in persona Christi. He's not there anymore. It doesn't matter if he's Father John or Father Bill. It's really, yeah. it's really Jesus. It shouldn't matter at yeah. all. Like, you know, it's like, you're, you know, you're, you're one of us, right? Yeah. As a priest, you know, you're one of us. You're just, you know, the tool the Lord is using Yeah. and you're not any better in a way, right? You're yeah. not any better than us. You know, you're just the same simple, sinful person that the Lord gave this graces of, you know, priesthood. And it's, it's beautiful. And it's like a lot less distracting. Yeah. And um, it keeps you kind of mind where it should be rather than, again, the priest itself. Yeah. Okay. Um, my next question is, let's talk about women. You said a very provocative thing and talking with your um, co-host, uh, Angela, that you, you didn't think that women should be lectors or Eucharistic mis- um, ministers. And please, uh, please explain what you th- think. The special role of women is obviously women and men have different gifts, different uh, places in a in a family, in a in a church, and so on. But I grew up with a lot of you know women lectors and e- Eucharistic ministers, and so I'm very used to that. And I wonder if you could mm-hmm. talk about it. Um, okay, so when our Lord picked His people, 
there were he had he had obviously many many women followers and the queen of heaven uh, happens to be a woman yeah and um so like i don't think he was kind of he really cared about what people thought at the time like right you know he's followed by um uh, Mary Magdalene and you know, all these like sinners, tax collectors or whatever. Yeah. So he didn't care. But and you yes, and me. <laughs> yeah. So he doesn't care about those like, you know, um, creator of universe, yeah. not going to care about your feelings. I'm sorry. But yet he still picked 12 men. Yeah. Right. To be his bishops and priests. So in his wisdom and you know what, I we don't need to understand necessarily everything. But the more I live as a woman and, you know, raise daughters, I just realize that um, maybe because of Eve's sin, there's a part of women. And I'm not saying this is like this trying to put my, you know, <laughs> my sex down. It's like we kind of need to sometimes step back from trying to be leaders right mm -hmm. uh this is like for me and you know <laughs> all the other women but like the the fact remains is that our lord picked 12 men there was you know mary magdalene with him from the beginning among many other women there was his mother you know why couldn't she have been a bishop right like she she was there you know during the crucifixion yeah you know, so, but he didn't. So he picked his 12 men and then, you know, uh, and he, you know, established this thing we called priesthood. Again, crazy idea of the Catholic Church. But, you know, he instituted this. And over the centuries, this has become like, you know, this is the, the priesthood is sacred and the sanctuary is sacred. It's like where, you know, uh, it's just, it was separated from the lady. It's not like above the lady, yeah. but it was separated to kind of emphasize that, excuse me, that sacredness. Yeah, and, um, no, I completely agree that, you know, seeking a bureaucratic office, <laughs> you know, like, yes, yeah. it's true, you get more gold buttons. But on the other hand, that's not a, that's not the holiest job. If, you know, even Pope is not as good as being a saint. I mean, many popes are saints, thank thank God, but they're like, I'd rather right. be Mother Teresa is more important than the Archbishop of whatever. It Exactly. Yeah. So that's like what happens is, you know, we are just trying to bring laity into the sanctuary, you yeah. know, unordained. And then, and we are like, does that mean the priests are better than us? Like, why are we trying? As if they're like, they're just separate. They're yeah. not elevated, you know? So it creates this illusion that, oh, as a laity, you're not good in, like, you're not good enough unless you do this. And I believe that, um, you know, we have a vocation crisis, Mm -hmm. And what happens is, you know, I know my book, like I have an 11 year old son. He doesn't want to be around girls like <laughs> it's, you know, if the girls are doing it, he doesn't want to do it. I didn't teach him that. Right. Like I have more girls. than like, He's around <laughs> girls all the time. Yeah. He loves his mother. He like suddenly he hit the stage. He doesn't want to be around the girls. What happens is when we put more women in there first, like as women, I said, we tend to be in charge of things very quickly. We want yeah. to get things done quickly, you know? And when women want to do it, men are like, well, somebody is doing it. I'm not going to get off the yeah. couch. Because yeah. like, you know, men want to be, they want to be needed. Yeah, so it's like, a, you know, sure. yeah, this is like a nature difference. So when you put women, there will be more women. But then when you have altar girls, the boys are not going to do it because it's not something special anymore. 
Yeah. I mean, what's the point of altar service? Can Do the priests need altar service? No. It's so that they can introduce the vocation of priesthood to little boys. But when the girls do it, it doesn't make sense. Like yeah. It's now broken. The connection between altar servers and the priesthood is broken. That's why. it's not. That because... is very interesting. So it's really about the men. You, you want this for a place for boys to try out, uh, should I... Oh, maybe I like being a priest, sort of a thing. It does, because yeah. you know, in the very early church, there were women like Priscilla and Phoebe who were leaders and speakers and that that sort of thing. And uh, certainly, you know, I also have this old opinion that men are kind of like the outward facing part of the family, and the woman's kind of the inward facing. And like, my, you know, my wife can do everything; I can do most of it better. But when it's time to talk on the phone, she'd much rather. I call the airline, you know, and sit on hold <laughs> and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, I'm the same way. I'm like, I didn't get married to carry boxes, heavy boxes. Yeah, I yeah. make phone calls, my man. Yeah. But but then <laughs> then I want to say, like, you are you also have an externally facing role as a podcast host and an author of many books, and so does your your friend Angela, right? So like is it we you wouldn't say like, oh, women shouldn't be, you know, in, in government or what or office or blah blah blah. You're no. just like these are special religious uh, posts that help you discern if you as a little boy want to be a, a priest or what? Yeah, and yeah. if you're upset that the woman can't be priest, I'm like, I'm sorry, take it up with Jesus. Like, I did not make the rules. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm not saying this as like, hey, this was a great idea. Or, I mean, I'm not saying this as like, hey, this should be changed. Or, like, I'm like, look, this is what he did. Do I understand everything he did? No. So here we are. Like, you know, this is what he did. I can see some of the reasons. And the, the longer I live, the more I understand why kind of he did it. And of course, I'm not saying, as you said, like, I'm okay. I'm not like, oh, women should never work outside of the house or like, no, like, none of that. I'm just saying, keep the women out of the sanctuary. Yeah. Because, you know, it's a place for, you know, priests, and which women cannot be can never be. And, um, and for boys who are trying to you know learn and then separate this you know the laity like we have a special role in the church that a priest cannot possibly fulfill yeah like we are they're, they're not better we don't need to be in the sanctuary to become holier better more visible or whatever is going on like it's fine let them do their thing let us do our thing and let us work together you know so yeah that's that's why. So yeah. it's not as provocative as you think, you know, <laughs> like I'm not saying, hey, don't wear pants and don't go to work or whatever. Like, you know. All right. No, I, so. I, I totally hear you. And um, as you said, women were at the foot of the cross, right? While all the men were hiding, except to his great right. credit, St. John. I think St. John was there. But the, everybody yeah. else, they were hiding. And the women were there at Pentecost. So they were definitely uh, integral to that early church. I don't know how, because there's so much we just don't know. There's so much that doesn't yeah. make And it the thing the is, I mean, you look at the history of the Catholic Church. I mean, you know, how many religions have uh, St. Catherine or like St. Mother Teresa, yeah. right? Like the, the Catholic Church has given so much freedom, so many rights to women um, that, yeah. you know, when people say, oh, it's like, you know, anti-woman, anti I just roll my eyes. I'm like, just take it up with the queen <laughs> of heaven. She has a few things to tell you. Yeah. you know? like, Amen. No. Yeah, that's right. And then, and the church has been this way for 2000 years and all of the tremendous changes over the last century 
we get confused. We think it's always been like this where, no. you know, like before before the 20th century, there was no refrigeration. So women had to cook every day before that there was no machinery. So men had to do the heavy jobs before that. There was right. no, you know, let alone all these more complicated things like contraception and divorce like that did not exist uh, right. until very recently. So everything's yeah. changing. And I wonder what will happen next. Um and in that spirit, I want to ask you my last question. I know it's been an hour. Okay. I, I hope you uh, can <laughs> give me a few more minutes. Um, in your very last, in your, I don't know if it's the last or most recent, I hope it's your most recent episode, <laughs> you and Angela started talking about Star Trek and Firefly. And Angela did yeah. not know these programs and you had a really <laughs> interesting point. And I know these programs so well. Uh, <laughs> so I want, to, I want to pick up on that, on that, on that comparison you were making. Yeah, the, um, because like, uh, I didn't watch Star Trek. I was like, I'm very geeky and nerdy. And I'm like, I draw the line at Star Trek. You know, <laughs> and then I had kids and I like my first two wouldn't sleep at night. So I started watching these shows. I'm like, this is boring. So I started watching Star Trek and I got really hooked on it. Yeah. But then I realized it's like this. Um, it's like it's very progressive. I haven't watched the uh, the last one. Um, what is it, Picard? Picard, yeah. I haven't watched that one, so you can't fill us in. But I'm okay. looking at it. It's like it's the it's the idea that if you progress enough, like it's, it's advanced enough, you're going to move past beyond uh, this ugliness and mm-hmm. the thing that's called religious. You know, like the Star Trek world is very sterile. And um, it's just kind of very minimalist in a way. And it's perfect because they moved beyond. So I'm like, this is so unrealistic. It's so against human nature. And then you watch yeah. Firefly, uh, which, you know, which my husband introduced introduced me. And I'm like, this is more realistic. It's like in the future, but it's the same. It's filthy and yucky. And mm-hmm. there is just so much sinfulness. And I'm like... Not that I like sinfulness, but I'm like, it doesn't matter how much you progress. Human nature is the same. We are going to find a better way to kill each other from, you know, 200 years from now. We are going to better way to, you know, commit abortions, you know, or, you know, kind of like all this like awful stuff we've been doing for, you know, centuries. We're just going to do it more efficiently in the future. Like it's still going to be dirty, ugly and uh, yucky, not this like sterile word of Star Trek. So I, but that's yeah. what I was trying to talk yeah. about. Like, You're absolutely yeah. right. So Firefly, I think they had two or three years. It was such a beautiful show. And I, for whatever, yeah. you know, production reasons, they didn't keep up with it. But apparently our protagonists are on some kind of, on the losing side of some kind of war. And so they sort of... They're the the people who won and run the galaxy are the people who they were fighting against at some point. But still, they're eking out their life as smugglers or traders or something. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, there's bandits and gangsters and stuff like that. But you have to figure out how to how to make things, how to make your, you know, make your way through the galaxy. And so they negotiate with unsavory characters. And there's a lot of conflict on board the ship. And, you know, they are able to make right. the right choices under the circumstances here and there because it's a TV show. Um, but right. you're right. It's grimy. Like it's the right. the ship, you know, has all kinds of problems. Whereas um, the old, the Enterprise, uh, the, you know, Picard ship from the 80s and 90s when I was, you know, a youngster watching TV, uh, like that ship looks like a hotel. <laughs> it's like all the rugs are right. beige. There's like nothing but space. Every single crewman has like an enormous room. <laughs> like how a thousand people can all have their own room on a spaceship. Um, and so like there's just nothing. It and There's no conflict within the crew. There's always conflict with outside people and there's no sign of religion 
right? There's nobody. Right. Uh, because they moved beyond that. Right. right? 200 like years have moved. passed, right? And there's no, there's, in in this other one, Voyager, uh, there is a, there's an Indian character named Chakotay, and he sort of has his indigenous religion from America, but they don't really go into that with detail. But there's no Christians, there's no Jews, there's no Muslims, there's no Buddhists, no. Uh, there's no Hindus. There's like none of the religions that made it thousands of years on earth make it a couple hundred more into the future. And the, all their earthly needs are met. There's no money. Or if there is money, you know, it's not on the ship. You just replicate what you want. Um, and I didn't question this at all uh, as a kid. I was like, yeah, future's future's great. Um, I know. <laughs> let's have, let's make it happen. Let's, let's make it what? What's the pro, what's the holdup? Uh, yeah. This last episode of um, Picard. So Picard is you know Captain Picard returns and he gets the crew together to um, solve a mystery. But this last see like I enjoyed the first one. I enjoyed the second one too. But it was so um, heavy handed in its progressive woke uh, messages. Like sorry. <laughs> they come to San Francisco in 2024 and they're, you know, they're fighting against the, um, the immigration and customs enforcement who are rounding up the innocent, um, uh, you know, illegal immigrants in Los Angeles. It's not happening and, in California. Yeah. Right. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little, a little more realistic. It's very heavy handed. It's very heavy handed <laughs> and it's very preachy. And, uh, um, the weird one is Guinan, if you remember her from from the Enterprise. Like she, the young Guinan, is complaining about how it's kind of in the in the spirit of Black Lives Matter, how hateful the Americans have become in the year twenty twenty four. But you know, this is a character who's lived for right. centuries. In the old Star Trek, uh, she appeared. You know, like there's one time travel episode long ago where she was hanging out with Mark Twain, right? So she has seen she's she's lived for hundreds of years, and she's seen these Americans solve slavery right she's seen them do this and she's so upset about the discord of of the you know 2024 so it's a very it's very heavy-handed but then i was complaining about this to my wife and she said well they've always done that right when they had um when they had one in 1984 it was about protecting the whales and that was a great episode and when they were in the 1960s they had captain kirk and um lieutenant uhura do the first interracial kiss on television, which was shocking and provocative. And when I look at it from now, I'm like, yeah, that was great. Of course they did that. What's the problem? Um, so I don't know. It pushed my buttons, but it, but it, but you talk about this as trying to make heaven on earth by human means. Right. And I right. think this has to do with the grand inquisitor that we started with. And then Dostoevsky, like humans can't make anything perfect because we're all crooked timbers. We're inherently, sinful if you try to make a worker's paradise it's going to go badly you're going to start murdering people within a generation because you have too much power what's the catholic answer do you think <laughs> you know well, what i mean star trek is yeah. not going to work so but and then the fireflies too like you know obviously there is you know there is the shepherd book but other than that like yeah. it's it's at least they there's still we know some form of christianity survived which is so silly to think that it's going to it's going to last all these thousands of years and, you know, disappear in the next few hundred years, yeah. like, which is, you know, not going to happen. Um, I mean, obviously, we need to realize that human nature is the same. Yeah. So we need to make better uh, science fiction choice. Just you have, okay, before I t tell, let's say, uh, but I think is the answer, which is like, hey, make everybody Catholic and let us serve <laughs> the Lord and serve each other. Like, that's my answer to everything. Yeah. Like, they ask me, how do we save Middle East? I'm like, let's preach the gospel. 
that's you that's you how how you solve the problems in the middle east but you should watch expanse have you oh yes i've watched that i watched the whole thing yeah oh okay i i really liked it because you know they have they turn the united nations into what is it like a world government yeah sort of yeah it's like a united federations oh i forget Oh, the united federations of planets is the star trek one but the united nations like and they're still fighting and it's still so messed up. And yeah. I'm like, yes, because this is what will happen, you know? Um, so, I mean, uh, we're never going to achieve paradise on Earth. You know what? Because, you know, like they ask Chesterton, what's wrong with the world? I am like, as long That's as we're here, yeah. you know, it's never going to happen. So just try to, you know, serve the Lord as best you, as you can and serve your fellow men and, you know. Hopefully we'll make it heaven. And that's where the paradise is, you know, not yeah. here. Amen. So. That's a perfect yeah. conclusion. Um, <laughs> so, um, well, excellent. Thank you so much for, for spending this hour with me and, and answering all those questions and telling me about your life. I wonder if you would please uh, close us with a prayer or a blessing. Yes, of course. A prayer, you yeah, know. Prayer. Um, Lord, for uh, we thank you for everything you have given us and everything you have uh, blessed us with. Help us to be always mindful of these blessings and remember those who are less uh, fortunate than us. And please help us to be good ambassadors of your word and your son. And as we go forward, to help us always to remember to serve you well and serve uh, and uh, love others as uh, we love ourselves. And Our Lady, please always pray for us and keep us under your mantle. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for having me. This was a wonderful conversation. My great privilege. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. And hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Chris Odinitz and Daria Little recorded this conversation on August 11th, 2022. It's the feast day of St. Clair of Assisi. She was an Italian saint and a follower of St. Francis. She founded the Order of the Poor Ladies and wrote the rule for that order in the Franciscan tradition. After she died, the order was renamed the Order of St. Clair or the Poor Clares. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster and their website is gscoasterband.com. Our logo, the image of the dog, is from a stained glass window from a Spanish monastery, which I took with the permission of the Dominican friars of England, Scotland, and Wales from their website, english.op.org. I'm Chris Odinitz. Please email me with comments or questions or ideas for future episodes or thoughts about Star Trek at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds God and angels sing.